the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Geek at Arms podcast, a podcast camped squarely at the roads of geek culture and Christian life. I'm James, and as always, my friends, Mike and Brian, are hanging out with me. Brian, how's things in your world? I am doing very well. Thank you. How are you? You know what? Life is good right now. I've been having a lot of fun these last couple of months, especially geek-wise, and I can't wait to get to it and geek out. But first, Mike, my man, how are you? I am happy to be recording, which I suppose is a good thing since that's what we're doing today. If, if I kind of mm-hmm. came to this podcast like, oh, man, I just I just hate podcasting. Why are <laughs> why are we doing this? It'd probably not be, you know, probably not good for the for the health of the show. <laughs> or your personal health either. Really. Yeah. <laughs> just we don't want to force you, Mike. <laughs> I just hate my hobbies. Like we, we have his wife chain him to the keyboard and the laptop <laughs> until we get an episode out of him. <laughs> I've 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 recorded your episode now. Please release my dear Wanda. Uh, sorry, I've been listening to Dune. It's been it's, it's, it was dark. I shouldn't have done that. But speaking of things being a little different on the podcast, uh, y'all might have noticed that the last couple of months has not been our usual offerings, but a lot of actual plays. Well, why are we doing that? Yeah, I, why nobody... are we? No, seriously, why are we doing that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, number one, because we want to. Yes. <laughs> and number two, a person who was in the first two episodes of Quantum Childhood said, hey, we should record this and make a podcast. And then she dropped out. We're doing it anyway. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, really? I've only listened, like, with the way that the, the release has gone, I've only listened to the first two. So she drops out? Oh goodness! Uh, yeah, Yolanda and Christian couldn't couldn't stick with it through the entire thing. They oh. come back later on oh, in good. the in the season. It was but not it was, by choice; it just life stuff. Yeah, but it was entirely Yolanda's idea to to make a podcast out of it. Well, I mean, she kind of doomed herself by saying that. Right. That, that's true. Yeah, kind of like saying, "I'll make a blog post." <laughs> nope. But uh, <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? And they're doomed. Yeah. Uh, there's also another thing that we're we're doing. I, I'm also been releasing some actual plays under the geeks at play uh label we're doing this only when it's not interfering with the three of us getting together for recording so we're not you know we're not shifting the focus in terms of uh, giving you less of the geek at arms regular episodes we're we're just adding more and plus, it's the fad right now everyone's doing it oh yeah i mean <laughs> ryan felton did it and i'm like Gosh, that guy makes it look so much fun. He he's wrong, but he makes it look that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is it is fun. It I, is. I've been enjoying myself. It's just I bit off a little bit more than I thought that I had when I started. <laughs> well, too much or not, Brian, the episodes have been sounding great. Well, thank you. We've really been enjoying them, and uh, for your own health, I recommend not make my wife wait on a split story again. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's going to be unhappy with the last. <laughs> no, no joke, listeners. Like she listened to the first episode of Tales from the Loop, and she called Brian. And is like, how dare you split that up? How dare you make me wait? <laughs> 
So we hope that you all enjoyed it as much as her. And if you need to call Brian to complain, his number is 816. <laughs> wow, 816. You're handing him a Kansas City number. But anyway, I'm not going to get into how I know that. <laughs> or you can just email him at mike at geekatarms.com. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, let's get to geek out. Let's shall. Uh, who's going to kick it off this episode? I will. Uh, so I was uh, just flipping through Hulu and I saw there was a uh, relaunch, reimagining of Trigun. Trigun Stampede. Uh, so I, I watched that and it's interesting. It's uh, It takes a slightly different tack. And at first I thought, oh, well, they're changing things around for, for bad reasons. But when I got to the end of it, I'm not going to tell you why I forgave it. But there is a, a point where you get to the end of it, you're like, oh, that's what they're doing. Okay. Hmm. That's fine then. So watch the original first. If you have, if you never watched Trigun, mm-hmm. watch that first and then watch Stampede. Gotcha. And you'll spend the first half of it thinking, well, gosh, they're changing things and I don't like the way they're changing things. And then you'll get to the end. It'll make sense. Oh, so like yeah. when we get to the end and we find out, oh, they're actually Cylons and they're coming to Earth in the prehistoric past. Okay, great. <laughs> right. That okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Tri- <laughs> Trigun was one of a number of shows that was on the old school Adult Swim on Late Night Cartoon Network. <sighs> there was a lot of great anime back then. It was Trigun, Inuyasha, Cowboy Bebop the original Full Metal Alchemist uh, before Brotherhood, mm. and one that I really loved and doesn't get enough love, I think, was Outlaw Star. I have not watched that one. It keeps popping up on Hulu that I should, but I haven't watched it yet. I have seen one of those. I definitely recommend giving it a try. <laughs> I found it thoroughly enjoyable. Anyway, uh, Stampede is, uh, they did it as a 3D animation instead of uh, 2D. Mm. So the look is extremely different. Uh, Vash's personality is a lot different. Um, I really missed Millie. She's not in it. Oh, but yeah, yeah. But I overall, I think it's 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 worth a watch. And it's only, I think it was only thirteen episodes. It's it's not as long as the original uh, show was, so it's not much of a a commitment. Is the character whose name I don't remember, but I always refer to him as the Full Metal Blasphemer because he carried <laughs> around a giant cross that turned into a gun. Is he in it? Wolfwood. Yes, Wolfwood is in it also. Does he still have the giant cross that turns into a gun? Uh, yes, but they don't hide it as long. Okay, what it is, uh, it's it's pretty obvious from kind of from the, from the beginning that it's a gun. That would have made the anyway. gospels a whole lot weirder if the cross was actually a gun. But that's just, I don't, I really don't know. Like, I don't have a frame of reference for what you're talking about, so my brain is just doing weird things with it, man. <laughs> uh. Beyond that, I've been playing a uh, a game called Inscription, which is it's kind of a retro-looking deck-building roguelike with a creepy pasta layer on top. Hmm. It's a uh, really peculiar and interesting. It, it plays a little like Magic: The Gathering's um, combat system, where you you put down a monster and it uh, attacks, and the other person's got monsters that might block it. But then it's got all of this other weirdness that goes along with it and a uh, occasional like videos from a guy who's I never I've never been quite clear on if I'm supposed to be that guy and this is his experience or if I'm watching him play. I, I don't know, but it's a strange game hmm. and kind of intriguing. It sounds intriguing. Inscription spelled with a Y like crypt. 
in the middle. Okay. Oh. Speaking of Magic the Gathering, sometime later this week, as the time of recording of this podcast, they're actually coming out with a Lord of the Rings yeah, themed it's, expansion. Huh. It's tempting me so hard. Same. Now, I already went slightly overboard a couple of years ago when they had the Godzilla themed cards. And I'm like, I don't think I'll ever do this again. And then they do this. Yeah. I spent more than I wanted to on the Transformers ones. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so you could actually theoretically field Gandalf against Godzilla? With Optimus Prime waiting in the wings. I'm starting to love this game, even though I've only, yeah, yeah, no, this is, this. you have my interest. (laughs) Why is it that they, that, do you know what? Wizards of the Coast is going like, you know, we saw Ready Player One and we want to make our game more like that. (laughs) That's a good comparison. (laughs) You could give Godzilla the one ring. Oh, wow. (laughs) That would make the book a little different. Uh, Wow. Sauron would be like, man, I did not see that coming. (laughs) I give up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Nazgul are just looking at him, just just shrugging to each other. What, what are we going to do now? <laughs> Is it too late to switch teams? <laughs> He's got the ring. He's the boss. Sorry, man. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with him. Have you smelled his breath? You, you made the rules. <laughs> that, would, that would also have made Lord of the Rings a very different thing. Frodo accidentally slips on the ring. Like, up. Oh, well, I guess we're serving him now. <laughs> Sir, we're here to escort you to Rivendell. No, you're good. The books may have been a little shorter. <laughs> Elrond is not sure what to do with this. Like, yeah, I want to I want to get the ring there, but I don't know. I am really not cool with your new co-workers. <laughs> but, but what if if it slipped on his finger? I, I don't see how it could just slip on his finger, but would it have also made Godzilla invisible? Oh, that's mm. worse. What happened to the Misty Mountains? They're just gone. We don't know what happened. We heard a bunch of loud noises in the night, and now it's a plane. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question here, and I don't know if you can answer it. How did we get here? I, I feel like this one isn't my fault. I've just stopped uh, asking. <laughs> I've just stopped asking how we get here. It's, it's not even worth thinking about. We just move forward. <laughs> all right. Speaking of moving forward, what else is on your geek out, Brian? Well, that's all for me. I think I'll pass it off to James since he's going to be right. talking about every movie from the last six months, apparently. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to like catch up on some superhero movies lately, especially now that they've hit streaming. And I've had the opportunity to actually go to see a movie in the theater. Uh, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and I also saw Ant-Man and Wasp, uh, Quantumania. Okay, that's about it for those two. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, no they, I haven't seen Guardians, and I actually fell asleep during Quantumania. Here's the thing. They're fine. They were fine. I feel like that's kind of where we've hit, well, where, where things are hitting right now in the MCU. They're fine. Not breaking any new ground. They're not getting us super excited. They're fine. They're nice. They're okay. That could be just what we have in store for the future. But I did finally, on uh, HBO streaming, got to check out Black Adam, and I was actually fairly pleased with that movie. But I did have one critique in that after watching it, I came to realize Dr. Fate was the actual villain in that movie because Pierce Brosnan stole every single scene he was in. (laughs) Yep. 
I would just want a Doctor Fate movie. He he did Doctor Strange better than Doctor Strange. <laughs> okay, nothing against Benedict Cumberbund, but I liked Pierce Brosnan as Doctor Fate, having a medium sized role in a, a movie not even his own than I have in most of what has come out for Marvel for Doctor Strange. Personal opinion. That's all it is. But anyway, I uh, took my daughter to go see the new Spider-Man cartoon across the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. Kaja said that. She said it was good. It was very good. Uh, still prefer the first one, but that doesn't take anything away from the second one. It continued the story very well. Instead of rehashing what the first one did, which is the fault of many a sequel... They're continuing the story, and it was a lot of fun. I, I love this art style that they use for these movies. It's really good, and it just it just seems to get more and more refined. It, refined for how unrefined it can look at times. It just fits so perfectly. If it's half as good as the first one, it's still probably the best movie of this year. <laughs> that makes sense. You're not wrong. Also... Something I thought that I would just kind of enjoy, but ended up enjoying far more than most movies that I've seen this year, was the new Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. That was way too much fun. I saw it in the drive-in. <laughs> I was not expecting for it to be that good or to laugh so hard. It's pretty amazing how, for an action-adventure film that wasn't comedy, it was just funny at all the right moments. Mm -hmm. And I loved the tone that it set. Like, it was some pretty semi-serious stuff that they're dealing with, but they never took it too serious. Yeah. But they also played the character straight. Yeah. I really wanted to, to catch Brian's reaction to, because I, I would say there's a particular scene in there that I thought was the best use of bad CGI ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Like, <laughs> I was about falling out of my chair at that scene. <laughs> Here was the thing, though. When I saw it in theater, there was me and another guy behind me. When that scene happens, he and I are about falling out of the rows. We're laughing so hard. <laughs> there wasn't anyone else laughing what? in the theater. Uh, seriously, I'm like, what is wrong with y'all? This is some of the best stuff yet. Like, yeah, we were in a drive-in, and you could hear people, like, guffawing in their cars. It was just... <laughs> oh, it was so good. Like, it was just so great because there was the, the, like, we're used to talking about, oh, CGI, that looks so bad. Oh, that's done so wrong. That looks so bad. And then when you're watching somebody's illusion spell come apart, it's like, <laughs> it's, like, I wonder how long they spent making it go wrong. How many drafts did it go back? You know, that looks wrong, but it doesn't look the right kind of wrong. Redo See, it. Ooh, we this should do this too. Good. Oh, oh, and let's, uh, let's, let's make it look like this too. Oh, and let's add this other effect. Let's make it look like something that these guards that are standing at the sidelines are just going to have nightmares about for the rest of their lives. I will say that the emotional beats that that, that, that show gets right, it gets a really, really right. Um, the 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 scene about failure was I thought just really wonderful. Like it it wasn't it didn't try to be more than what it was. Like it wasn't yeah. trying to be like we are now going to distill upon you the meaning of life. I mean, but it was it was just this character moment. Like why you know why in the face of so much failure does he keep pressing on? And just that moment of like, well, if you if you stop failing, then you failed. You really failed. Yeah, and I'm like, and I like how wow. the the bard Edgen 
played so fantastically by Chris Pine. He owns his failures. They're like, well, what about you? I'm the champion of failures. And I, I loved that scene so much. I actually ended up writing a devotional about it for Ryan over on the Daily Nerd Devo. Uh, are we going to be able to get a link to that for the uh, for the show notes, maybe? I will provide that. Wonderful. <laughs> and I think the reason why all of these moments hit so well is because they really did a great job on casting. Oh, Hugh Grant was <laughs> unreal so as the mm-hmm. villain. And oh, what, Michelle Rodriguez. You could tell she was having so much fun in this role. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, I don't know what it was like working on this film, but somehow they all seem to just hit it just right. And even even the little victories felt very tabletop-ish. Like, okay, plan A has, has gone to crap. Plan B has gone to crap. We're going to make do with plan, I would say, C or D and a half. But what are the other? Uh, we're going to switch to plan B. What happened to plan A? Oh, plan A has a stink to it. <laughs> You know, there are times where you're watching it like you could almost hear the dice come up a one. <laughs> I saw a post where somebody had accidentally uh, turned on the audio description for the visually impaired. And the guy thought that it was actually narrated by a DM and thought that was like a stylistic choice for the show. He realized it part way through. And so he'd be like, okay, let's turn this off and watch the movie. Like, no, no, no. I like I like the DM version better and turned it back on. <laughs> so it actually works really well watching it through that lens. Cool. Interesting. Speaking of gaming parties, recently I did take my family to the Scarborough Fair down here in Texas. Weather was beautiful, thankfully. We had a really fun day. And uh, the kids have gotten old enough now that they have started asking if we can go in costume or in oh, garb to, to the fair. I'm like, yeah, I'm down for that. But Joy and I thought that maybe we could make it a bit more fun than just looking like peasant extras one, two, three, four, and five in <laughs> nondescriptive medieval drama. So we thought it would be a lot of fun if we dressed up as a adventuring party. Oh, no. So uh, we did some explaining about it. Uh, my daughter, she had a better idea, but the boys, you know, they got they caught on pretty quick. We told them, here's some of the characters we could be. We could be, you could be a wizard, a barbarian, a rogue, a fighter, a ranger, a cleric, a paladin, a druid, a bard, a monk, or an artificer. And one of my sons wants to be the barbarian. Uh, another one wants to be the fighter. My daughter, she wants to be a druid. My wife is kind of going back and forth. And I'm finding myself drawn to either the ranger or the bard. You're a bard. Well, make sure you, you let her know she can multi-class. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids like the idea so much that they also want to get these made so they can wear them for Halloween this year. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll keep you all updated. And uh, for the last thing of my geek out, the thing that I have enjoyed the most over the last couple of months has been a TV show on Apple TV called Ted Lasso. Have either one of you two heard of or seen this? I've heard it's a joy. My former boss really liked it a lot, but I've not, I don't know a thing about it. So the premise is that, and I found this hilarious, a college football coach who had just finished taking the Wichita State University Shockers football team from the bottom of their division to champions, takes a job coaching British football, aka soccer, in London. 
it was so interesting seeing the main character, Ted Lasso, played by Jason Sudeikis, wearing a black sweater with the WSU logo on it. I'm like, wow, that's not something <laughs> I was expecting to see, especially because WSU hasn't had a football program since like the 80s. What made this show so good were the comedy beats and also the utter complete sincerity of the character Ted Lasso, who is so optimistic and so life-affirming to everyone he meets, and not a second of it is fake. As I said, it is all completely 100% sincere. This is a guy who absolutely wants the best for all the people around him and proves that he will do his best to help people in both word and in action. And seeing him, at first I thought it was just going to be a stereotypical fish-out-of-water story or one that mirrored the baseball movie Major League where the coaches and the players are in a battle against the owner of the team to keep the, the team together and not be sold. And I thought that's where it was going. And it continuously undermined my expectations because of how it there were no caricatures. The people were very well written. You found yourself just sympathizing and empathizing with them on many levels. What I really enjoyed was the honest and healthy look that the show took about mental health and the importance of seeking help. Hmm. I was not expecting that, but when they brought it to the forefront, it was handled very well. And it also shone a light on true and healthy friendships between men and women, men and men and women and women. It's like, you're going to watch this and you'd be like, I want a friend like that. That's the type of friendship that I want to have with someone. So on top of just being incredibly well-written, there's not really hardly any wasted scenes. In all three seasons, there was only one episode, which I thought was really kind of the odd man out. But other than that, just a very well-tight written script, great characters. And I also really enjoyed that they only ever set out to make three seasons. They had a specific story they wanted to tell, had a beginning, a middle, and an end. When it came time to end it, they did. They didn't try to drag it out for a fourth or fifth season. They told their story, and it was done. I respect that. That is quite rare. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say get Apple TV just for that one show, but if you find yourself overthinking, like, well, maybe I'll try the uh, trial period of like a week or two. Do it, binge it, because they just wrapped up the third season. So you can binge all three seasons as quickly as you can. And trust me, you will binge them fast. And then watch Foundation and tell me how it is, because I'm not willing to subscribe to Apple <laughs> TV myself. And then watch the Tetris movie for me. I hear it's really good. <laughs> well, now I have homework. <laughs> I actually watched the Tetris movie and it it was really good. The funny thing is how much uh, how much... Uh, intrigue they left out but huh. for the sake of telling a story yep cool i'll have to go check that one out uh but that will wrap it up for my geek out mike on to you oh who me i've not been doing anything geeky um <laughs> I, yeah right i know um i i received an invitation to come visit the retro rewind uh guys it was uh it, we we reviewed uh the mask of zorro and as always, was I was honored that uh, Francisco and PaulJPowers.com extended an invitation to to their podcast. 
Um, it was a great time. Uh, and also, we now have said uh, Retro Rewind on our podcast again. So it's we know it's actually <laughs> Geek at Arms episode. Um, <laughs> it was fun, but I was jet lagged out of my mind when we were doing this. I, I was kind of keeping tabs with with James during the day. So I'm like, okay, well, I land in on Saturday. It was only a six hour time difference. By Tuesday, I should be functional enough to record at 6.30. That's no big deal. Oh, wait, 6.30. That'll mean that it's going to be uh, 8 o'clock our time when we start recording. That's fine. Oh, wait, no, I did the math wrong. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to be up till 11.30 after I've been jet lagged out of my mind. Uh, do I caffeinate or do I take a nap? Do I caffeinate? Or do I take a nap? And in that indecision, I kind of like effectively did both. <laughs> and I was like a really bad call. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it shows up much in, in the episode other than me like, I'm just a little bit more exuberant than I normally would be because I'm trying to accommodate for bad decisions. <laughs> it was so funny because I just happened to to see the notification that Retro Rewind is on. I was like, oh, I haven't plopped in on them for a long time. And I get in there and there you are. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Like, Mike, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> Dude, check your text. I totally did. <laughs> and so I checked my text like, oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> so, no, that was a great time. Um, always a blast being on their show. Um, so check it out. It's the Mask of Zorro. And I mentioned I mentioned being jet lagged. It's because uh, I had the opportunity to go to a little place called um, Ireland, um, which is was was really amazing opportunity to uh to be there kaja and i were were there just kind of um doing some sightseeing some tourism she was she had already been there because she's doing a doctorate and she had uh she had an intensive that was that was in ireland so we spent about a week there and i'm not going to go over a week geeking out about a country because a that's weird um b (laughs) (laughs) um I did want to say, though, I love living history museums. I absolutely love them. And we found this little place tucked kind of in the middle of nowhere in uh, Kragnawan. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that at least a little, probably a lot. It, <laughs> it was the site of a of a 16th century tower house fortress. So it was like this is this is the gentry's domicile and it's it's a defended fortified tower and it had been reconstructed since since it was in use uh, because like, ireland is just like full of these of these little ruins like the history there is just incredible they also had reconstructions of a water village like a water-based village they would build these artificial islands on lakes and surround them with with reeds and spiked poles and have a tower on them and it, it looked like it was the inspiration from lake town in the hobbit it that was just very cool it was so cool uh reconstructions of like little ring fort villages they had a reconstruction of uh a fifth century boat that like one that would have been used by saint brendan as he as he did uh as he did some some voyages some uh, pilgrimage um, and it's really interesting. There's a ninth century account of him that has a lot of Odyssey-esque type encounters 
while very, very obviously not being grounded in the Odyssey. Like it's grounded in monastic life more than anything else. Like that's like they they mark the passage of time by the liturgical calendar and um, the hours of the prayers. So it is a fascinating little account. Uh, and I, I absolutely love that Living History Museum. Uh, not at the Living History Museum. This is not in the notes, but I have to share. Uh, at the National Archaeology Museum in Dublin, they had my favorite typo in history, <laughs> which is they they were talking about some artifacts that were found by a Viking woman. And uh, she was quite tall. She stood uh, 174 meters that is quite tall. Yeah, that was like, I'm pretty sure it meant centimeters, <laughs> but like, I mean, this woman is larger than the Washington Monument. So that was, I mean, I I imagine that she was married to a king whose name translates to King Yestier. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I have headcanon that, that there was a, a giant Viking woman in, in Ireland and that you can't. You can't you can't change my headcanon. No, no. Headcanon is accepted by me as well. I'm totally down with that. Ancestor of Paul Bunyan. <laughs> <laughs> Picturing a super tall, red-haired Irish woman. What really killed the dinosaurs? Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> they were tasty. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, in my geek life, I th have kind of been doing some consideration in terms of the games I've been playing. Earlier on in the podcast, you heard me say, for anybody who's been listening for a good long while, um, that I kind of more for, you know, job hazard reasons have stayed away from from Dungeons and Dragons just because, like, I don't have a problem with the property. It's not been, you know, it's not generally been my brand of fantasy, so there's not been a lot of draw there. But I also just, like, anytime it comes up in church circles, like, if it used to be that if I would play role-playing games... <gasps> You mean like Dungeons and Dragons? And I had the plausible deniability of saying, "I've I I I've never played that game. Whatever do you mean? I am playing this this <laughs> tactical this 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 tactical miniatures game with all of these Star Wars pieces." And people say, "Oh, well, that sounds completely something different. That has nothing to do with any sort of nonsense of the Satanic Panic." But I haven't had any of those questions for like a decade. So when my friend said, hey, can we do a 5e game? I'm like, okay, fine. Um, if we do that, um, can I play a llama? You mean like a llama folk and anthropomorphite? Like, no, can I like play a talking llama? Is that a thing we can do? You mean like Cusco? I'm like, I'm not going to say that he had nothing to do with the inspiration, but I mean, general idea, like there's llama, he's talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got this awakened third-party supplement. It, it tells you how to play an animal that's that's actually human intelligence but is still very distinctly an animal I'm like all right cool i'm in um <laughs> but um we did a couple of sessions you know we did two or three session zeros um like any role-playing game we're having a hard time getting the group all together but we've we've gotten a couple of sessions under our belt but during the first session like it like this is something that you really should have covered in session zero like the gm said like the most hurtful thing I've ever had a GM say to me, like ever, because I take my die roll, I roll the die and I said, oh, there it goes. Clickety clack. That's a 17. And and she said, do it, do it in, in, in the program, roll your dice, like in, in the software. I'm like, wait, you mean like 
no rolling plastic. It's like, yeah, could you could you please put it in the and there there was about an hour of yelling back and forth, but we came to it was it was hard emotionally for all of us. But I'm I'm having to put all of my my I'm going to put my plastic aside and I'm I'm doing it in I'm doing it in software. So yeah, condolences. I, yeah. It's it's been hard. It's been hard. <laughs> no. No, it was it actually serious. Like in all seriousness, it's like we're as we're trying to learn, as we're trying to figure out some of the systems. Some of us have never played D anD D before. Having everything all calculated and showing you how it's coming up with those is a means of of helping learn the rules. So it's just it, it's it's like you can do it later once we figure out how to play. I mean, and I was crying a little bit too hard to hear her, but she said it louder <laughs> again after that, and I, and and I was okay, and she was okay. Well, see, this just sounds like an opportunity to make some like internet aware electronic dice that interface with the Roll20 API. So you can roll the physical die and it sends a number to Roll20. Mm-hmm. That would not be something I want to program. <laughs> <laughs> but it's absolutely something you want to play with, right? Oh, absolutely it is. <laughs> Oh gosh! Could you imagine what it would do with some of those highly stylized dice that have <laughs> that that the numbers are not terribly regular because they have all these intrusions through them? <laughs> like this is what is going to start the the robot uprising right here and now. You rolled a three. <laughs> <laughs> Must kill all humans. Yeah, that's fair. Computer doesn't understand. How did you just roll mice? <laughs> <laughs> I will say having the uh, the software to do all of the calculations is really, really wonderful for MERP. So I set up all the macros to do all the adding and looking things up on tables. It saved a lot of time. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, that's one of the things with being somebody who's so new to the game who doesn't know how all of this works. It's all the things like, okay, so do I take this and I add this? Like, just click your skill and it will roll it. Like, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. It'll add the numbers all, all on its own. Brian, on some level, you've got to be thinking, what's the fun if it does all the math for you? Oh, no, it's a lot of fun for me because I get to figure out how to make the computer do the math. And so I get to do all of the writing the long expressions. <laughs> I, have, I have a button on my, uh, my tokens for spaceships and Traveler that you put in how many Gs it's pushing and how far you, you're traveling. And it'll tell you how long it takes to get there. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> wow. So that's my brand of fun. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> well, speaking of, of D&D and uh, wanting to play it or not wanting to play it, why don't we head into our, our main topic for today, um, which I think is is generally, uh, we kind of talked about it as non-D&D RPGs, but I think it's also kind of non-OGL uh, RPGs. So... Mm-hmm. The OGL news broke so long ago. Why are we talking about this now? Because we figure nobody else is anymore, so we've got an opportunity. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, there is something about being squelched out with all these voices. But, I mean, yeah. on some level, we, for a couple of reasons, didn't want to bandwagon on the OGL conversation. It was such an evolving subject and just kind of the normal timeline of, of our production doesn't lead to, it doesn't lend well to breaking news type of podcasting. Yeah. Um, so after the dust settles, it 
it still seems that there are a lot of people who are for a variety of reasons looking outside of Wizards of the Coast and outside the OGL for their games. And whether that's for content creation person uh, reasons or if they have um, they have personal games or personal reasons they want to move away from this. And really, none, none of us have ever really been on the D&D bandwagon yeah. in the first place. Yeah. I mean, Mike, you had your reason that you shared before. I was always just really intimidated by the amount of lore that was there in Greyhawk or the Forgotten mm. Realms. Like, I don't want to try and keep up with this. And so I'm going to play Middle Earth role playing where I already know all the lore and nobody's going to surprise me with something there. <laughs> like Mike said, we don't have a horse in this race, but we know that there are a lot of people out there who were unhappy with the directions that things were going, especially in regards to Wizards of the Coast. And uh, this is giving us an opportunity. Hey, let's shine a light on other RPGs because it's always fun to play something different. And this will give us an opportunity to share ones that we really enjoy. We've all played D&D. We'll probably all play it again in some time in the future. But we also really enjoy these, and we think that you will as well. So why don't we kick off with some fantasy RPGs that are outside the OGL? I've already mentioned uh, Middle-Earth role-playing, which was the first role-playing game that had the Middle-Earth license back in the, the 80s and early 90s. From uh, Iron Crown Enterprises. Right. And it is derived from their more generic system called Rollmaster, which is sometimes uh, jokingly called Chartmaster because every weapon has its own table. Oh, wow. With a column on it for each different kind of armor type that it can hit. Every weapon. There's a whole book full of just charts for weapons. <laughs> <laughs> so... If you like spreadsheets, then that's the game for you. But uh, if that's not your your uh, cup of tea, there have been some more recent ones. Yes. Um, if you don't want to spend eighty dollars on a rule book that, <laughs> that is too. that is you know forty years old, at the time of when the Lord of the Rings movies were breaking all the records in theaters, there was the Lord of the Rings RPG, which most of its material was heavily influenced by the movies. Yeah, that was the one that Decipher did. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then more recently from Free League Publishing, there was the One Ring role-playing game. And they wrapped up a Kickstarter back in 2021, raising $2 million for this RPG. And I've been reading some really good reviews. It's set in like the year 2965 of the Third Age, so about 40, 50 years before the events of the Fellowship of the Ring yeah, I, I recommend go to Free League Publishing, check out The One Ring. It looks like it's got a, a lot of really cool mechanics, and uh, I'm hoping sometime in the future I can try it. Glass Cannon Network did an actual play of that one uh, on their YouTube channel, their uh, New Game Who Dis series, mm -hmm. uh, and it was really entertaining. I, I recommend that one a lot. Oh, good to know. What was that YouTube channel again? The Glass Cannon. Glass Cannon. Gotcha. I'm going to go check that out. So in terms of the Decipher Lord of the Rings RPGs, I can say that this is solidly within the 80% of the core rule books that I own and we were going to play a game, but we didn't. So I have it and I've never played it. <laughs> There's also an, a one called Adventures in Middle Earth, which is a uh, OGL 5e adaptation of middle earth okay so that is different from the middle earth role-playing game yes it is mm -hmm. called adventures in middle earth adventures in middle earth okay 
Sounds like we don't play a lot of fantasy. I did play a little bit of uh, Palladium Books' fantasy game um, called Palladium Fantasy. I don't know that I would really recommend it because the system is a little janky, wonky. It doesn't hang together real well, in my opinion. But the world information is really cool. I, I have a lot of their uh, their world books that I mine for, for storylines. I also have a couple of fantasy RPGs that I do own, I have played, and I'm not going to recommend. So I'm just going to skip right on. <laughs> I do have the core rule book for the Witcher RPG. I've talked about it before on this podcast. And if you really enjoyed the books, game, and TV show of The Witcher, maybe look into it. I can't give a definitive review on it because I haven't had a chance to use it yet. Right. <laughs> I have read through and I've listened to some actual plays of Dungeon World. And Dungeon World is one of those powered by the apocalypse. I think it's the original powered by the apocalypse. Well, no, the original uh -oh. is called Apocalypse World. That's why it's powered by the apocalypse. Well. I think Dungeon World is the, f the very first um, offshoot of it, though. Okay, okay. That makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, but that is that is one of these storytelling type RPGs. Uh, there's a lot of communal input. The success-based system is really interesting and it looks pretty accessible. So if, if you don't want to do all the charts, this is an easy go-to where you can learn the system, pull out a few NPCs. Uh, you can collaboratively sort of build out a world where you don't need to have all of the the lore tucked into the back of your head you can you, you can kind of build as you go so it's pretty accessible on that level mm -hmm. uh, powered by the apocalypse games do tend to have uh, a failing in that you don't get that uh, level up experience very often um, or very much they've got a very limited level progression mechanism usually i haven't played dungeon world but my experience in other pbta games are that this will work for a kind of a limited campaign but not for like a multi-year we're going to be playing this as long as we're all alive kind of game like DD can do all right well, that sounds like our experience of fantasy rpgs i wonder if we have anything more to say about you know non-fantasy either modern or future or um all this, everything that isn't fantasy. <laughs> I expect we might. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Yep. <laughs> uh, I will always do Star Wars D6. Like there is, there is the old West End games. They put out just a ton of fluff. Uh, and, and they had some really good stuff. Now, is the system smooth and elegant? Um, you know, it has some problems. Uh, Jedi are slow to build up. And once they do build up, they can t kind of own combat if all you do is throw stormtroopers at people, uh, which is why I don't just throw stormtroopers at people. Um, <laughs> but the game has so there is there is a real satisfying level progression. There is a diverse amount of skills that you can build up. And I had a campaign that ran for three years on this and it it was just really great. I, I think that if I had any criticism for how combat runs, it would be, and this is something they've fixed in kind of later fan editions, uh, is that every time that somebody makes an attack, you roll your defense dice, whether that's to dodge or to parry or, or what have you, instead of having a static defense number that you have to hit, 
but there are easy conversions out there into, well, this is what your dodge skill could be. You know, this is your defense by the nature of your dodge skill. So combat can get a little bit clunky, but there's just so much good stuff. Uh, we did an actual play podcast uh, with Ryan Felton uh, on City in a Hill doing a Star Wars adventure. And I mean, I thought it was grand fun and we had we had good people there. So uh, we're going to link that in the show notes. Also want to throw a link out to Geek at Arms episode 35, where we got to talk Star Wars RPG with Eric Troutman. That was a blast. He was a, mm-hmm. it was grand fun to have on. Mm-hmm. Well, and I will obviously uh, shill for Tales from the Loop. <laughs> and I think if you've been listening, uh, you pretty well already know how that one goes. Uh, so I won't belabor the point. But I do really like some of its uh, mechanics, particularly the extended trouble thing, where you've got the entire group all making just one gigantic die roll. And that's even more fun when you're actually at the table and everybody's throwing dice into the center and you're just stacking things up. Uh, that's just a really fun mechanic. Well, if we have anybody who's just coming into this new, do you want to give like just a couple, like a, a few sentence summary as to what is this Tales from the Loop and what are the mechanics like? Uh, sure. Uh, Tales from the Loop is based on artwork from a concept artist named Simon Stalenhog, whose last name I'm sure I've mispronounced. Uh, he's a Swedish concept artist who does all of this like retro futuristic uh, paintings of like the 1980s and the 1990s. But there's a, a science fiction veneer to them. Like there's robots everywhere and there's these big flying maglev ships. And uh, the central idea is that there's this government project called the Loop, a super collider that was built in Nevada. And there's also one in, in Sweden. You've got two different environments you can play in and all of the the player characters are children uh anywhere from like 12 to 14 years old uh and the adults are out of touch this is very much a spielbergian kids on bikes kind of experience where these kids are encountering outlandish science fiction dangers and having to deal with them all on their own like talking birds like talking birds uh killer birds even uh, and it's a, a D6 base system and uh, you've got a, a stat and a skill and you add those together and that's the number of D6s you have to roll. And you you roll that whole thing and you're just trying to get sixes. That's the only, only number that matters is six. And if you get even one six, then you succeed. Um, until you get to something that's really tough or you get to the very end where you have to get a number of, of successes. Um, and so it's, it's real simple to, to pick up and to learn. Uh, it's got a very limited number of archetypes in terms of character. You can be like the, the popular kid or the weirdo or the troublemaker. And, you know, these are ideas we already know. Well, what is the troublemaker like in a movie from the 1980s? You know, we know that character. And we know the kinds of things that he can do and the things that he will do. And so it's real easy to, to get into that, uh, the system. Um, and we've been having or we had had been having a lot of fun with it. We're not playing it right now, uh, but we hope to return to it uh, in the near future. If we wanted to listen to an actual play of that, do you know where we could find one? You can find one at geekatarms.com. Oh, no way. Quantum Childhood. The uh, As of this recording, I think the first two episodes are out. The third one will drop next week. By the time we release this episode, there's probably going to be seven of them. We'll see. <laughs> I feel like that was a commentary on my editing. Nah. No. <laughs> 
to to be fair, uh, we've played the first uh, session, the one that released four weeks ago, at the very beginning of the pandemic in 2020. So I know how long it takes to produce some things. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no shade to throw at you. I think I was editing the. We'll talk. We'll probably talk about roll for shoes here in a bit. But I think I was editing our uh, our NutriCorp adventure for like probably a solid month and a half and sat on it for like three weeks prior. So <laughs> yesterday I was actually at an SCA event and I got to talking with a young person about RPGs. Um, I heard this person having a conversation with someone else about Magic the Gathering. I was working on my show notes for today and I asked her Obviously, you're into Magic. You play tabletop RPGs, I'm assuming. You know, considering they were just talking about Magic the Gathering, I think that the fact that they play <laughs> RPGs as well is a pretty safe assumption. I said, other than D&D, what are some that you really enjoy? Because, you know, that's what we were about to be talking about today, and I was just curious about hers. First one that she went to was another one, a non-fantasy RPG. Well, it could be fantasy if you wanted to, but the, the Fate Core system. Oh, yeah. One of the things I really enjoy about them is that it could get as technical or non-technical as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. There's the basic fate core system. You want it streamlined? Cool. There's the fate accelerated. No, you want it simpler? Cool. There's the fate condensed version. If you want to be an atomic-powered robot, if you want to be a post-apocalyptic kung fu gorilla, you could take this adventure anywhere. And she shared when they she really enjoyed the narrative aspect, the group narrative aspect of the game. Fake core's been out for quite a while, though, hasn't it? Yeah, that's been, again, that's part of the 80% that's on my shelf that there was a group. We were going to play it. Somebody said, I'll GM this. Like, oh, cool. Let me read the rules so I know how to play. And then we never did. And even before Fake Core, it was derived from Fudge, Fudge. which yeah, I know was in development in at least the mid-90s because I was on one of their uh, FidoNet discussion groups wow. back then. We talked about Fade Core for a bit. We talked about the Powered by the Apocalypse games. She also told me that they had just finished up a Star Wars campaign, and I asked her which system, and she said she wasn't really sure. I asked, what type of dice did you use? She said D6s. Wonderful. Yes. That's the West End Games version. I am very proud of you for your choice. You are a wise person. Nothing against the new stuff. Nothing against it. We've got a soft spot for the old stuff. The first love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Nostalgia is driving a lot of love for that. So mm-hmm. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is not a modern game, but it's still so much fun. But toward the end of the conversation, I actually shared with her how much I enjoyed doing Tales from the Loop. And as I started to explain it, her eyes lit up. She's like, oh, tell me more. I haven't heard of that. So I, I gave her the premise and told her a bit about the mechanics. And she got super excited. And uh, yeah, I was happy to share that with her. It's always fun when you share something like that with someone and you you see the excitement level get shared as well. There is something really that's kind of infectious about enthusiasm for these little passion projects that we have. Mm-hmm. And on the, the Tales from the Loop thing, everything from Free League, because they're the ones that published that one, everything from them that I've read so far has just been really good. I have nothing but good things to say about Free League's the quality of their books and the quality of the mechanics in those books. It's all great. Well, before and- we get too far away from, from the discussion of fate, um, I did want to drop in the doctor who tabletop RPG, uh, because though that's not, it's not fate. 
It really isn't. But you could tell that the designers really had a lot of a lot of the influence from fate in terms of, okay, pick an attribute and then pick two things, make the sell to the GM that this will work and then let the dice roll. Um, with Doctor Who, they added, and this is one thing that I had a problem with with Fate, is that it was just so open that if you're looking for solid direction, it may not be your best choice. If you say, I want to know what sort of skill I can roll with that, there just isn't that. You could sort of make that, but it's not it's not inherent to the mechanics. And with Doctor Who, they give you a pretty solid attribute list they give you a skill list and then you can mix and match those together for your roles like if you want to say well this is a dexterity role but it also relies on my getting to that switch and knowing where it's located in the ship and how to shimmy up the jeffrey's tubes even though there are no jeffrey's tubes in in doctor <laughs> who there are now because i can do whatever i want with my universe and you know you say well it's it's dexterity and it's technology or it's intellect and it's acrobatics or it's so you can mix and match your skills uh, and your attributes so long as you can make the sell to the gm so there's structure but there's also there's also a lot of room for some loosey goosey fun but the best thing about the doctor who rpg is its initiative system hands down because who goes first depends on what kind of action you want to do. So one thing that's kind of interesting about the show in Doctor Who is that they're always talking their way out of out of situations or into situations. They'll negotiate. They'll, wait, 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 before you fire, you should know this. And the talking always seems to be able to preempt uh, somebody pulling the trigger. And they very, very, very well were able to represent that in the mechanics of the game because talkers go first in a round, then movers, like if you want to run away, they go second. People who want to do something like flip all the buttons and switches and somehow change the environment go next. And then the people who go last in the round are the people who want to fight. So if you have somebody who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull out guns and we're going to go blazing, that's fine. But somebody may have already either talked you down or may have run away or may have cut the rope on a chandelier and, and gotten you bound up and tied up before you can even pull the trigger. So it's really kind of really a fun way to play. And I'd love to see that sort of thing represented in other RPGs ironically uh middle earth role-playing kind of does something similar where it doesn't have any of the mechanics for getting out of something without conflict really uh, which is a shame but it's a product of the time but the round system very much is if you're casting a spell you go first and then archers uh and then movement and then i think movement goes last unfortunately swinging your sword is third and then movement so it's kind of got the same idea but they didn't have a uh, a thematic purpose behind it but i really i really love the the whole notion in the doctor who rpg and i i would love to give that a try sometime i would love to see how that looks if you house rule that in i don't know i mean D is pretty combat heavy but take take something mm -hmm. that's already combat heavy and just take a few sessions and see what happens if you reward the trying to talk or think your way out yeah that's one of the 
aspects that Joy really liked when she played in that Doctor Who session with you, Mike? That was a lot of fun. The one thing that is interesting in that sort of play style, though, is we've been playing for a while and I had had a GM that said, I feel like I'm not challenging you guys because he would have these horrible, big, bad, evil. There's no way that we could possibly defeat them. And yet we would we would defeat them like the, you know, their, their <laughs> reactor would go or there would, you know, their their ship would wind up with their neutron drive reversed. So, you know, that they couldn't whatever it was. And after the upteenth time, he's like, I, I just don't feel like I'm challenging you guys. And we said, oh, oh, no, no, we are challenged. Like we have had to think hard and really evaluate what resources we have because we can't take these people in a fight. Like we're challenged, but challenge doesn't look like it did when you were doing D&D. So mm-hmm. it it may not feel like it, but but we are really having to work intellectually and problem solving wise to make these sort of things happen. So yeah, it 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 the challenges look different and feel different. And speaking of very different we would be remiss if we did not give Numenera a mention one because it is such a fun game and two we want Mike Pernit to remain our friend oh gosh that was just a wild ride when he was on City on a Hill and he was GMing I got to play and it was grand fun I'm man enough to admit when I'm envious that sounded like a lot of fun I wish I could have been in on that session. I love the premise behind the game that, you know, it's a billion years in our future. How did I hear Mike describe it? It's the ninth age of the world. Uh, eight other ages have fallen and risen. Not every single one of those ages was human. Um, right, the third was full of Thundercats. Yeah. <laughs> I love that premise. It also uh, uses the cipher system, doesn't it? Yes. I describe it as the far future science fantasy that far future science fantasy thinks is far future science fantasy. (laughs) Well, were there any other non-fantasy RPGs we wanted to mention, or should we move on to like some smaller indie style games? Let's talk about indie stuff. Cool. Uh, We've already mentioned Powered by the Apocalypse quite a bit. They put out a lot of really great game types. The one that I am most familiar with is the Monster of the Week campaign. Brian and I got to be in one of those where we played geriatric monster hunters, and it was (laughs) so much fun. One of my favorite things about the game was actually when we were assisting the GM in the world building. There wasn't any competition of ideas. It was all building upon each other's. That really brought a unity to our group, which added to the gameplay, the camaraderie. It was, it was just fun. And I'm running, attempting to run the, the new Avatar, Avatar Legends RPG, which is another Powered by the Apocalypse with that same group. Very cool. The cool thing about Powered by the Apocalypse is they're not, there's not a company that produces Powered by the Apocalypse games. There was a company that made Apocalypse World and they said, you know what? This is a, a fun kind of system. Do whatever you want with it. They're... Only license terms are, you can make a game derived by this. All you have to do is just say it's powered by the apocalypse. Unfettered access to to the game system. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of little companies that will put out a a PBTA game. I don't remember who makes Monster of the Week. 
Avatar was being produced, you know, licensed directly from Nickelodeon. And so a lot of these games pop up. I've played in uh, one called CBR-PNK, Cyberpunk, uh, which was derived from Blades in the Dark, which is derived from Apocalypse World. And that one's like, I think, eight or nine pages of rules. Uh, so re- really tiny, a lot of fun. And once you played one of them, you kind of get, you know, how this thing works and it makes it easy to, to play the others. So you don't have to relearn rules. And yet they're all very, very distinctly different mm-hmm. just based on the, the character archetypes that are made available. I've got the uh, rule book for a superhero powered by the apocalypse game called Masks, A New Generation. I think it's put out by Magpie Games, but it's all about making a young hero And Magpie, just for clarity, Nickelodeon did license the Avatar. Uh, Magpie was the one who actually who actually made the the RPG in the books. So, yeah, Magpie's doing stuff, and Mm -hmm. it's interesting. Well, since we're talking about uh, smaller and indie games, I I wanted to talk about Emberwind by Nomnivore Games. This is uh, this is a fantasy setting, uh, for the most part. Uh, There are airships. But it's a little bit different than just a regular tabletop RPG. So I kind of broke it down in here with the with the small indie stuff because it is very small and very indie. Uh, Right now, they have two adventure settings. And really, this is a small campaign in a book. So it's really easy to access. Like I would say that it's that it's fun entry level. Um, but even fun if you just have a hankering to do an RPG session and don't have a person who has the energy to GM because you can do this GMless. And if you do it entirely GMless, it kind of runs a bit on the rails of a I don't want to say a choose your own adventure type RPG, but there's some elements of choose your own adventure. You can't go entirely freeform if you're going GMless, but it does give you, if you choose this, then follow this course. If you succeed the skill check, then go this course. If you fail the skill check, go this course. If you leave this woman alone, then flip to page 62, where she will obviously stab you in the back or something to that effect. <laughs> um, so if you want something like super crunchy, super freeform, then you're not going to want to run it GMless, but the combat system has what they call an an NPC AI, which is you know not exactly an AI. Like there's certain behaviors, like this enemy will always pursue the person with you know the most hit points, or the one who hit it last, or will always move this. And you roll a d6 and then check a hex grid in terms of what it's going to do. So the NPCs have some level of predictable patterns of behavior, but also some variations within those confines. And so it makes combat interesting while it's not the GM controlling all of it. And there's sometimes where it, it does go a little bit, a little bit like, oh, thank God, I was just about ready to die. I'm glad it didn't attack me a second time. <laughs> so um, somebody could come in and rescue you. But um, and it would have made sense for for something to just go in for the kill. But I would say that this is a really fun, open a book, roll some dice with some friends adventure. It scratches the right, I want to play an RPG itch. And they also have an expansion book. If you want to run this as your own RPG campaign setting, they don't have the oodles and oodles of lore like say D&D does. 
but they have enough resources on your website that you can have NPC builders. You have some PCs in there. There's If you've played through one of the books, you've got enough sense of the mechanics that you can do something with it if that's the direction you want to go. So they have support. They have an active community. And they're pretty, the company itself is pretty responsive. So I'd say it's worth checking out. That NPC AI reminds me a little bit of what uh, they do in the Alien RPG, where the, the Xenomorph has a set of behaviors that the GM rolls for so that they aren't, they can never be accused of picking on any particular PC because, no, that's just what the dice said the, the alien's going to do. I can imagine that would be advantageous, especially with Xenomorphs being as, um, I mean, they're, <laughs> I mean, I've never not played this game, but I'm assuming that they're OP because that's yes. the reason why you're playing <laughs> Alien is Aliens are OP. I played it once and everybody died. Oh. oh. <laughs> it was glorious though. I mean, everybody died in the way that they should have died. It was great. So when typical you're... Aliens movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you do for the rest of the session if your character dies do they have a way for you to still participate or are you just kind of watching the scenario you know i don't recall off the top of my head i'd have to actually look in the book and see what it says about that interesting um, okay it could be one of those things where you die and so you take over an npc or you know another character appears because alien movies can be like that <laughs> um, oh this guy was hidden in the ducks the entire time what do you mean there's some 10 year old girl hiding out here that's that's right. not believable gm no, no it's okay the <laughs> monsters only come in at night mostly mostly <laughs> <laughs> all right so what else do we have so i've made it no mystery that i've got a soft spot for westerns i also have a soft spot for supernatural western games oh. i really enjoyed deadlands when it came out so many years ago but recently I was turned on to A Haunted West from Darker Hat Studios. Not had a chance to play it yet or even get the book, but from what I've been reading, I really like the look and the feel that they're going for. Like it's a post-American Civil War where the, uh, the Reconstruction flourishes for many years instead of coming to like an abrupt end. And it includes minorities that have been whitewashed by history. And depending on how weird you want to get is up to you. Like if you want there to be aliens, there can be aliens. If you want steampunk gadgetry, you can put that in there as well. Supernatural entities, minor gods and zombies. If you want a vampire gunslinger, you can have a vampire gunslinger. Uh, the more I'm reading about it, the more reviews I'm reading. One of these days, I think I'm going to drop some money on at least the, the PDF of the rule book. If we're talking about small and indie I don't know if you can get any more uh, indie than uh, I would say two games come to mind. Um, one is Honey Heist and the other is, uh, <laughs> oh, that's too much fun, um, and uh, and Roll for Shoes. Uh, have either of you played Honey Heist? I have once. I have not. It was so much fun. Oh, gosh. This is one of those one-page RPGs front and back. The idea is you are, and I love a good heist, you are, you're trying to steal honey. That's not a secret given. It's, it's exactly what it says on the box. <laughs> right. Um, except you're a bear. 
Like you are a bear wearing a human's hat to try to pass yourself off as a human. And you have two skills. One is, what is it, super villain, and the other is bear? Criminal and bear. Criminal and bear. So the only disguise you're wearing is just the hat. You got it. No no hat and trench coat a la 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja cartoon. Just the hat. Right. How many bears have you met that are just wearing a hat? I mean... I would like never know month? because if it was wearing a hat, I thought it was a person. There you go. Exactly. Brian's got it. <laughs> so it was a really nice hat. I mean, see, exactly. So uh, what it is is that every time you, you make a skill check, you get a bonus depending on where you are on the spectrum between criminal and bear. The problem is if you max out criminal, you go full on criminal mastermind and you abandon your heist and, and just go out off on your own. Um, if you max out on your bear role, then you're, you just turn full on wilderness bear. So you kind of balance your successes and failures. Um, and there are things that you can do to like bring you where you want to on balance in these spectrums, but it's just way too much fun. I, I, I played once and I decided to name my character Jebediah Grizzlewood. And I was so pleased because that is definitely <laughs> a bear criminal. Well, this this brings me to a pop quiz for you guys. Oh, I was going to do heist, one too. Okay. Excellent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Honey Heist uh, checked off an item on my uh, role-playing uh, bucket list. Something that I've wanted to do and just looking for an opportunity for and in this particular case, it was uh, I wanted to betray my party in such a way as, you know, it was be thematically appropriate and at the right time. So at the end of the honey heist, uh, we, we get to the very last room and we've got the honey in hand. And uh, I slam the vault door with my companions inside. Well, one, one companion inside, I've turned the other ones over to the park rangers and I waltz, waltz off with the honey all on my own because my uh, my archetype was that I was the the burnout and this was my last job. It was oh just wow! Amazing, fun to finally get to to pull that one off. So, what is on your GM bucket or not necessarily GM, but your role playing bucket lists? That is a really good question, and I wish I had a really good answer off the top of my head. Mine was to play a talking llama. Like I'd had that like on the list for years. Like really, it kind of started. Yeah, there was there was a a Kickstarter for a third party, um, llama D and D you know supplement, and and it you know if you unlocked so many, there were actually like three D printed minis that would come. This thing did not get off the ground. Like I can't even find a record of this thing, uh, which is really kind of a shame because it kind of plans out an idea. Like yeah, if I was to ever play D and D. That's how I'd want to do it as a cool. llama. So now, like, I've, I've gotten two sessions in and I'm playing a llama. So that was my bucket list. I I guess I do not have many role-playing game aspirations. I honestly generally try to build characters from the name up if I'm doing one-shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me think. Let me think. Cause my DM to become so flabbergasted by my logic and my reasoning that he absolutely makes me roll, especially when I'm trying to fool some stormtroopers. No, wait, no, I've done that. Yeah, you've done that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did that. You do that um, in every session. Let's see. Go one-on-one with a character 
that is supposed to play a much larger part and even become my friend at a later point in, this, in the session, but I behead him with a extra die roll and uh, take no way I did that. Um, have my eyebrows burned off by a fireball slinging wardrobe because I made my GM too frustrated one night. Nope, done that one too. I think that your bucket list is just whatever it is that you just did because you just so enjoyed the fact that you did it. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> that's not a criticism. I mean, that's, that's out of play. <laughs> the thing that actually made me think about this originally was that I had another item checked off my list uh, last week. But I had this idea of... Uh, having the PCs fleeing from an erupting volcano. And I got to do that one. That was a lot of fun. It was actually supposed to be a super volcano that was going to destroy about a quarter of the world, but they did not engage with the part of trying to stop it at all, and they lost their spaceship. So I scaled the volcano back a little bit so that they could just be flying away in their flying car while one of them was dangling from a rope. So I got my volcanic eruption. I just thought of a bucket list item that doesn't have anything to do with like a specific character or scenario or session or even game. The next thing on my bucket list is to be able to once again have an RPG session at an actual physical table with people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love and appreciate Roll20 and also being able to do it over other places like Discord, but... I think we can all agree there's just something about being able to be with friends around a table to physically roll the dice and have that shared in-person experience. People scare me now. No. And, <laughs> and now I made myself sad. <laughs> uh, the last thing, it's not in our notes, but I think that if we're talking about smaller RPGs, that we should probably make some mention of Roll for Shoes, given that it's smallest kind of, in RPG. Like it is the smallest. Like it's not even a page. Like, there are six rules, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and I, I've it, Brian introduced me to it. Uh, he's got an actual play that is, you know, it, it'll come out sometime. Like whatever, whenever, whenever Brian decides. Yeah, when the time, when the the appointed time arrives. Um, and it kind of inspired me to do a couple of, of one shots that we've got in the Geek at Arms stream under Geeks at Play. I don't want to explain all of the rules because that would just take forever. Um, but <laughs> the idea really is very free form. And I think it's really well suited to one shots because what you do is anytime you fail, you get an experience point. Anytime you roll all sixes, you gain a new skill because you start with one skill called do anything. Anytime you want to do anything, you roll <laughs> do anything at 1d6 and you can add on new skills for a 2d6 that is related to what you were doing. Or if it's related to what you were doing with a 2d6 skill, you can add a 3d6 skill. I've never had it go any higher than three. Um, uh, but I think my uh, change outcome was at 4d6. Oh. And I think that in the oh, that uh, much begrieved lost episode, I got to a 46 at one point. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And this really seems to lend itself to really zany kinds of play, especially with with us. I don't know how it works with other people, but we kind of get very loosey-goosey in terms of what <laughs> what do these words mean when you say, 
ah, uh, yeah, I turned a car on, so I want to invent a skill called ignition. And then later on in the world's largest grocery store, uh, you say, I'd like to roll ignition to cast a fireball. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, 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 it does. There was one time I was I was playing on sitting on a hill because like we need to watch out how many times we say that on this show. We're going to get Ryan to appear again. Um, <laughs> I had a character who had a cane. And so I tripped somebody, somebody like, was there something you wanted to do with that, Mike? Like, no, I just wanted the skill cane trips so I can abuse this later by casting a D&D cantrip. <laughs> just something about the openness to silliness that this that this game can have like there's no innate tone to it but i feel like it i don't know anytime that i've been involved it's been delightfully zany so perfect for a one night one shot this breaks the game mm -hmm. uh your game will break you're playing just to watch how it will break <laughs> right and in my experience uh mike plans his his games a little bit more uh thoroughly than i do but i'll just jot down a sentence about what this game is about and then take it from there. Uh, because I know that no matter how much I plan, it's not going to go that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first time I ever ran it, I came up with an outline, like introduce the setting part two, things go to crap. Um, part three, make things better. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that with every, plan a gm has at some point it's gonna go off the rails but with roll for shoes it's in the express lane <laughs> i don't think so i think that pretty much is gonna wrap up our rpg talk uh mike did you have anything else i was gonna say hey james i think you should say that about wraps it up why don't we get to our <laughs> zombie apocalypse strategy of the week Okay, I'll do that next, Mike. Thank you. All right, yeah, I just don't want our listeners to hear, so I'm trying to keep my voice down. You're doing a great job. Well done. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Um, let's head to our zombie apocalypse plan of the week. Uh, Mike, how are we rolling the dice against the undead this time? This time, we are rolling. We actually are rolling the dice against the undead. And the next time you have an army of uh, of zombies in your game... I suggest rather than trying to fight them, you just get the cleric to cast healing spells on them. I mean, these people have died. I think that maybe if you could just heal them up, they won't be biting you. I mean, just just heal that rotting flesh, get them all stitched back up together. And I think maybe you might just be adding a few new allies to the party. You know, by that same logic, you could have the magic user cast turn undead on you so you become undead and you can reason with the zombies oh my gosh i think that is the best idea ever there's nothing that could go wrong with that plan and that actually will wrap it up for us this episode thanks again for listening check us out online at geekatarms.com on facebook at facebook.com slash geekatarms and mike what's our twitter we are arms geek on twitter Please give us a like, leave us a review if you would. It really does help the show. And as always, from Brian, Mike, and James, be safe, be blessed, and be geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at Facebook.com forward slash Geek at Arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome. 